This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Your best shout ever. You remain standing as Missy comes to read the Word. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. <laughs> I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant them justice quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who, still, who have faith? shout of praise for that. You may be seated. Praise God. You can be seated. Thank you so much. I want to talk to you, uh, continue on about prayer. Uh, just trying to share my walk with you of how I've worked prayer out. Um, I titled it this, The Prayer of a Skeptic, because I grew up in a home very much watching my dad and mom pray, other people pray, and I was a big prayer person. I would pray every day uh, after school. I'd get out of school, and I'd go to the church, and I would pray for about an hour uh, every day. That was just part of my ritual, and through college, I did the same. As I got older, though, I, my own testimony is I became very skeptical about it, not about God. I always felt like I believed in God. I believed in Jesus, even though I had a lot of questions. I still had faith in it, but I, I did become very skeptical about prayer. Uh, because it, it just didn't seem to really gel with what I was told or what I read with my experiences of prayer. And, and I struggled. I, I would say I, I became a pretty good skeptic over it. I shared some of that with you over the last two weeks. And so what I, what I want to do is try to tell you how, how I made it through a skeptical, and not, not just like a week worth, but quite a while of my life. I was skeptical about praying. I kind of had the thought of, yeah, it may work, it may not. You should do it. Every Christian should do it. But I probably didn't do it a lot. And when I did pray, I felt like it might not even matter anyway. And so there were those struggles. And now, uh, you know, I've, I've tried to work out in a way that I can best understand why a human would need to talk to an unseen person called God. And then to believe that that unseen person could talk back to us is still kind of weird. Like I'm talking to this unseen thing called God, and then that unseen thing, spirit, God, talks back to me is weird in and of itself if you don't have faith. Like we're just talking to some thing, and then it gets really muddled with, am I hearing me or God? Is that me? Is that God? Is that thought God? Is that thought me? And then you tag into any kind of humanistic thinking or teaching, which is anybody that hears a spirit being taught to them is kind of out there anyway, kind of Looney Tunes. And so I'm, I'm trying in the month of November to move you through that process with me so that your, your heart becomes more in tune to pray. I hope I inspire you to pray more. I want to go back to that scripture Missy read, Luke 18, verse 1. And what I'd like to do is just share some things that I've learned through my years of praying and how I came to learn them. And then I've got three things that I've applied in my own personal life that have meant a lot to me and that have helped me work through some things in my heart of why I still pray today. 
even when I don't see the results I wish I could see. Look, look at verse 1 again. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Years ago when I read this, it really pricked my heart because I logically concluded from this that not every prayer always gets answered immediately. Otherwise, he wouldn't have to encourage me to keep praying and not give up. So there are times where obviously Jesus knew Mark would pray, the prayer won't get answered, which could lead to my discouragement, which could lead to maybe there's not a God anyway, which could lead to what if he doesn't even care about me, which could lead to, yeah, there's no reason to pray, which is kind of where I was at, uh, which leads me to give up. So one thing I can deduce about this from Jesus is Jesus is telling me don't ever give up praying. Even if when you're praying you don't see an answer, just keep praying. And that to me was kind of just weird because isn't the reason I pray to get results? Otherwise, why pray? I pray to get results. I don't see results. I beat myself up. I feel guilty. I blame the devil. I blame other people. I blame God. But I think almost all humans kind of come to this thing of, I want to see results when I pray. And that's how I became very skeptical. I did not see results when I prayed, at least like I would like to see them. I would hear things like, we should be able to pray for deaf people like Jesus and the deaf here. The blind should be able to see. The lame should be able to walk. Let's pray that down. But I never really saw the deaf here. Maybe one guy. I saw a blind guy on YouTube, you know, get healed, supposedly through prayer. But then my brain was like, yeah, but they probably faked that. How do I really know? Because I don't know the guy. So let me just say personally, I've never known a blind person that saw. I've never seen a crippled person walk that I knew personally, like that was obviously crippled. And so it was just very skeptical, like, okay, well, I know God does this, but I don't see it, but I hear stories about it. But I'd like to see something, somebody I know. And so over time, it's easy to just, uh, just give up. For those of you that don't know my personal life, um, I have double vision. So anytime the church is not very full, I can take my glasses off and we just doubled. <laughs> so that's pretty cool, right? So without my glasses on... I got two Quinns right here. Literally, I have two. So I got a Johnny and a Quinn. And what I have to do is I have to figure out there's you and you here, and then there's you and you here. So there's four of them. And which is really cool. Like I don't even have to drink anything or smoke anything. <laughs> and I can have this weird feeling like, man, the room. So. So that's, what, that's my problem, and that's been most of my life. They found it when I was in college, but I had kind of worked it out mentally where I won't go into all the details, but I kind of worked out just looking out of one eye, and this one was kind of blind. So I figured that out, and it, and it is rather frustrating because I can't ever be without my glasses except I just have to figure out, okay, I need to look at you here. I need to look at this. i got to figure out which one of you I want to look at. So if I don't have my glasses, my eyes just go back and forth with, i got to figure out who I want to look at, which is not good if you're playing softball and they hit a pop fly and you don't have your glasses and two balls are coming at you. You're like, all right, left or right, Lord, hurry up, talk to me. Because if you miss it, you're going to get a broken nose, right? So I grew up that way. But on September 15th, 8.45 p.m., 1997, Deuteronomy 34.7, Moses was 120 when he died. His natural force was not abated. His eyesight was not dim. I chose on that day, September 15, 1997, 8.45 p.m., to believe God would heal me of my eye problem. And it's no better today. I don't see any better today than I did then. I still have double vision right now. I've kind of worked it out. I'm just looking out of one eye right now so I can kind of cheat it. But the other side of the coin is, do I just give up? And just say, well, if God wanted to heal me, God would. He's had plenty of time. He's had 24 years. He probably doesn't even care. Maybe I don't have enough faith. Maybe the devil's too big. Or why don't you just have surgery? 
And the doctor told me, now I'm too old to do that. He said, just keep seeing double. You already passed the prime of doing it. Won't be worth it now. So then, while I wait on, I don't want to give up. I really believe God's a healer. I've really been praying. I really hold on to it. I really remind God that I chose to believe on that day. I have a scripture, but nothing has changed. You can see how real quickly it goes, well, maybe God's not a healer. Or the other, more religious, maybe it's not his will to heal you. And so now I'm really battling in my mind, should I just give up and quit worrying about it? But then I found Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Oh, hmm. benefits. I can see the church just shrunk. We have less people now. I see only one Shiloh, praise God. Could you, Derek, could you imagine having two of them? No. So benefits. I can now see. Thank God for the benefit. But religion says this is faith. You keep quoting. You keep seeing double. And you hope they don't pull you over. And you hope you don't kill somebody. Because I tried that. I tried to ride down I-20. And when all the cars are doubled, it is interesting. Literally. It is an interesting, like, oh, God, which car? Okay, that car. Okay. Close an eye. Figure it out. But until I get this, I just put these on and go, well, thank God for benefits of doctors that if I can see okay now. But there's a whole group of people that to wear these goggles of glasses, they cost me $1,000 a pair. So it's not like they're cheap. So that's why I wear the same pair 14 years in a row. It's easy to say this is not faith and this is faith. And to really believe God, you should not even put them on. And so I've had those battles. For those of you that don't know, my wife, Robin, who I shared with you where she's at with my daughter, she's uh, totally deaf in her left ear. So from a childhood, she has zero hearing. So it's a nerve problem. And there's a lot of people that are like, man, I've said something to Robin and she didn't even acknowledge me. And it's because she's deaf. So if you're chatting with her and she's off in left field, just move around to the other ear. And she'll be, oh, I didn't even hear you talking to me. So being married to her for 30 years, I have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for God to heal her. She has come up and had elders lay hands on her with oil to pray that she could hear There's been prophetic words. There's somebody deaf in the room and God's going to heal you right now. She comes up, she doesn't get it. And so there's that, like, well, why would you want me to pray for this, God? But it seems like in 30 years of marriage, you would have done it by now. So should I give up and just quit praying my wife can hear? Should we just forget it and put our prayers elsewhere? Because she's still deaf and I'm still asking you to do it. And you're still giving me a story that I shouldn't give up. But I really feel like giving up because I'd like to see some results. Because when I don't get results, I feel like giving up. What's the use? And so on the weird side of that, my wife's testimony is it really doesn't bother me. I kind of like it. And I'm like, what? You hear in mono. You don't even get a good bass groove going. You only get one side of the coin. And it's fun. You can ask the girls when we play hide-and-go-seek. It's so fun to let her be the one finding us because we can literally go, we're here, and she won't know where because she can't judge distance or where sound's coming from. So we can be like 10 feet away, and she's looking in the other side of the room. So we love it. But also the benefit of she lives with a kind of pudgy dude who snores, she just rolls over on her good ear and doesn't even have to worry about it. It's like, well, there's a benefit, right? Or if she doesn't want to listen to what you say, she just kind of does this and doesn't even have to hear you. So those things in my own personal life have been, well, why not me? Why hasn't God healed her? Why hasn't he healed me? Because I love him and I'm praying and I'm quoting. I'm doing everything he's telling me. And now you tell me just don't give up. And I really feel like I've not given up. So what I want to try to do is teach you how I've worked out these issues of unanswered prayer. Because if they all were answered, we wouldn't have these questions. We wouldn't have to worry about giving up because they would just all be answered. 
but to the wife who consistently prays for the marriage, but it doesn't get better, to the person that's broke that consistently prays for their finances, but they never get better, to the person that's sick and they pray constantly, they obey everything the Bible tells them, but they do not ever get better. How do we handle these things? How do we answer the questions when we feel like giving up? When we've gone to the altar, we've gone to 15 marriage conferences, we've repented 20 times, our marriage is no better, you got to tell me, what do you think I should do? So I want to walk you through in the next few moments, I just want to walk you through how I've tried to work this prayer thing out to where I still believe that prayer is the greatest thing we can do. So let me give you a thought and a struggle, a question. This is just things that I've worked out through the years. This is the first one, and then I'll give you some scriptures. Prayer is more about aligning my life with God's mission. Prayer is less about asking God to bless my mission. They're both desperately needed. The bottom sentence is more about results. Mark wants to pray, and I want to see results. I want to ask God for a better job. I want him to give me a job. I want to ask God for a raise. I want a raise. I want to ask God to fix my husband. I want my husband fixed. I want to ask God to heal my back. I want my back fixed. I want to ask God to heal my eyes. I want my eyes fixed. So the second uh, sentence is pretty much kind of congruent with all of us in the room. We all want that. I want God to bless me. I want him to help me get in college. I want him to help me get that car. I really want God to bring me a girlfriend. I really want God, I want him to bless my mission. The first sentence, though, to me, it keeps me from being a skeptic. The second sentence, I, I become skeptical because why isn't God blessing my mission? Why don't I have the car? Why is my marriage not better? I can really become skeptical when prayer is just based around what Mark needs. The first sentence is more prayer lines me up with God. And it's less about what is being done for me and much more just about who he is as a person. I don't, although I want to see results and I care to see results, I've understood that I don't need to judge God off results. I just need to know who he is. And prayer to me is kind of more about me learning more about him and less about him answering all my prayers instantly. Now what I have learned is when I focus on the second sentence, I get very frustrated when I just focus on I'm not going to worry about results. I just know he's in charge of my life and I'm going to keep going to him and keep praying and keep, keep him in my life as the source of my life that things begin to make a little more sense. Here's the struggle question. How do I, Mark, practically line my life up with God's mission? Like, how do I do this on a practical basis? You know, do I not make it about God, but I don't make, I mean, I make it about God, but I not make it about me, and I really make it work. So I want to try to just take you through this, uh, how I've done it, and I hope out of sharing how I've done it, it'll help you maybe figure out a little bit about prayer. Let me run through some scriptures with you. Here's some things I've learned. Before daybreak, Mark 135, the next morning, Jesus got up and went to an isolated place to pray. Um, this kind of threw me in my young years because I was always told that real spiritual people get up and pray early. And David prayed three times a day. Daniel prayed and so I beat myself up a lot because if you don't get up early and start your day with God, your day won't go good. That's kind of what I was taught. Not in a bad way, but in a very passionate way. You need to every day start your day with God. And I tried that. It just didn't work. I'm not a morning person. I do get up. I don't lay in bed. But I'm not a morning person. I'm much more midnight, one in the morning. I'm rolling strong. I'm wide open at midnight, like, let's make some brownies and watch UFC. I'm good to go. But getting up at 4 a.m. to beseech the Heavenly Father is very futile to me. I'm like, I would rather he's awake, I would rather sleep, let him handle it, I'll check him on the way. 
So I do know this, though, that somewhere in your 24 hours, you need a place to go be with God. Now, some of us aren't morning people. That's okay. But you need a place you can pray at some point. Now, for me, what works for me, it's not going to sound spiritual, and you may wonder how in God's name is He leading this house. But my prayer time is... I get in my car in Villarica, I come down 61, I come down I-20, and I come here every day. So every day I'm here. That's about a 27-minute ride. And in that ride, not every day, but most days, it's just my car and God. And I can speak in tongues and not have to try to define to people, is that even biblical? I can sing old-time gospel music. I'm going to hold to his hand. God's unchanging hand. I'm driving down I-20. Glasses on, thank God. And I'm just... And so as I'm driving down I-20, I don't even have to interpret for anybody. I don't have to warn, is that, is that for today or not for today? It's just a place where I find with God that as I pray to Him and talk to Him, it works for me because I'm not having to fix things and answer questions and what about kids and homework and because I found out the reason Jesus prayed at daybreak he didn't have kids. He was single. Single people can pray at daybreak. Have you ever tried to find an isolated place to pray with kids? Impossible. The moment you decide, I'm going to go to an isolated place and pray, Mama, Daddy, where are you? And it's just like, God, I just wish y'all would shut up. Give me a peace of mind. And then if you get in that prayer closet in the house with children and it goes quiet, you can't pray either. You're like, something's up. <laughs> They're quiet. Oh God. And you're, so you're trying to talk to God in an isolated place, but when you have children, it's impossible. So in my car with the doors closed and my music as loud as I want it, nobody to say turn it down, I have found that works for me. And I would just say, if you want a brilliant prayer life, just find what works. And then just do it. Just do it. Second scripture. Then Jesus left them again and prayed the same prayer as before. This is when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He doesn't want to go to the cross. But what I learned from this about Jesus is it's okay to pray the same thing over and over and over. So this tells me that sometimes you may pray and not get the answer you want. But it doesn't mean you just quit praying. Just pray the same thing again. Well, I just prayed that yesterday. We'll pray it again today. Well, I just prayed it two days in a row. We'll pray it a third day then. Did Jesus establish that obviously... It's okay to pray the same prayer over and over because he's letting you know that not every prayer is going to be answered immediately. If he did answer every prayer immediately, you would be spoiled rotten. Would you not? There is not a parent in the room that would give your kid everything they asked for every time they asked for it immediately. Come on, help me out if you're a parent. You would never give your child everything they asked for when they asked for it the moment they asked for it. And if you do, none of us in the room like your child. We tell you we do, but behind your back, we're like, that is the most spoiled, rotten brat ever. Right? I mean, we know that about people. So then why do we take prayer and think, well, I'll just go to God and pray it and he'll just do it. He's going to do it every time I ask him. He's going to give me everything I want, when I want it, how I want it, when I want it, because he's a good, good God. We just sing about that. But there's sometimes God just says, you know, Mark, thanks for praying. You're not even remotely ready for that yet. Come back and ask me again tomorrow. I'll see how you're doing. We'll chat about it again. And he keeps me coming back to him why? Because in prayer, when I learn it's not about just my results, but it's about His fatherhood, I realize that prayer helps me grow up. Because prayer keeps me going back to the source even when I don't see the answer. 
And in that, I either learn how to be patient or mature or grow up and let the Father be the Father. The third scripture, Luke 3.21. One day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, I love this, the heavens opened. This is in Luke, it is baptism. Sometimes when you pray, God does show up. And you can tell he's in the room. Your hair stands up. You, you're like, oh, God showed up today. There have been several times in my life when I prayed and I know that I know that I know God came in the room in that moment. Like his presence was in the moment. I could feel his I just walked in and just started praying like, Lord, I thank you. And somewhere in that, I thank you, I praise you. It, I don't know. I mean, this sounds weird. But it's almost as if the God of heaven got off the throne and came into that room with me and just enveloped me in his presence and his peace and his goodness. And I'm just sobbing and I'm weeping. And I just have this, even though I can't see him, I have this weird thing like heaven just invaded my life. And those are good moments. I think we all need them occasionally. But I also want you to know that not every time Jesus prayed, the heavens opened. And I've had to learn that sometimes prayer is just boring. Sometimes I wonder if God even cares I'm in there praying. Sometimes I wonder if he's too busy for me. But if I'm always looking for a supernatural thing to happen... I will get so caught up in the supernatural that again I forget it's just about talking to him. I'm not telling you not expect heaven to open. I think we should. But I think we need to be mature enough that every time you pray, heaven doesn't have to open up. Sometimes God just wants you to talk to him and pray and nothing may happen, but it doesn't mean that it was ineffective. Or that it wasn't worth your 30 minutes that you gave him. So I need to understand how to navigate that. Next scripture. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Here's a thought. If, if the son of the living God had to pray often, how much more you and me? How much more should you and I be praying if he often withdrew to pray? So I'll just ask you this. I, I kind of probably would say I flunked it a lot. But do you pray often or occasionally? Because if the Son of God prays often, then I would need to say, well, it might behoove me to pray often. And then often's kind of weird because it doesn't tell me how often, but... If I really study the life of Jesus, it appears like it's daily. And you would say, how? Because he said, our Father, give us our daily bread. So even Jesus is assuming that often is at least daily. So then it would make me say, does Mark really go to God on a daily basis? Do I go after his mission every day? And my answer in the past is no, I probably didn't. I loved him, I read my Bible, but I definitely didn't pray every day. I mean, I thought about him. If, thought, if thinking about him counts. So I'd kind of rationalize that a little bit. Next scripture. One day, soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray. And he prayed to God all night. This, this passage is taken out of the context of when he's gonna, going to um, get his 12 disciples. He's going to make a big decision here. These are the 12 guys that are going to follow him. So what it tells me in my own life, there are times where I need to make prayer a very serious matter before I make a stupid or unwise decision. Sometimes it does good just to spend all night with God before you just rationalize and you go, go pick whatever random 12 people you want. So obviously he's telling me that there are moments in my future that will require me to be much more serious about seeking God. Decisions of life that could be lifelong. Decisions of life that could really have an impact on my life, could really turn the course of my direction. 
I need to just know, am I willing to put that kind of prayer to it? Now, in my life, I could probably say fair, if I'm going to be fair, there's probably been two to three times I've prayed all night, like over my years with God, where I literally stayed up all night and prayed. And in that, staying up all night and praying, I didn't pray the whole time. I just showed up at the all-night prayer meeting, and half the time my mind's wandering, like, i, I got to do this tomorrow, and the other half says, no, don't do that. Just pray, pray, just pray. Pray, 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 pray. And then your mind goes out in left field. Then you're praying, remembering a Kevin Costner movie. No, stop that. Quit. Right? So, I mean, we do know when we pray all night, that sounds, again, spiritually romantic, but it is tough to keep your thoughts. But at least I can say I need to be smart that there are times I might need to put more effort to prayer before I make major decisions. Next one. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of the disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, here's a thought. If you're the 12 guys that follow him, and you've, you've seen dead people raised, blind eyes, deaf ears, demons come out, walked on water, miracles of the loaves turned to fish, why wouldn't you ask him for something like that? Like to me, raising kids, I would, have I would have never asked this question. My question would be, look, Jesus, I just, real quick, I want to ask a favor. I need you to show me how you multiplied the bread fish thing because I got some kids at home that eat a lot, and that would help me out. Like if I could just go to the grocery store one time for a month and then just multiply it, thank you. Teach me that miracle. Teach me how you walked on water. I've never really needed that one because I can swim, but that might be cool at a party. I could earn some money. But they didn't ask any of that, which ought to make us stop and go, why did the 12 guys walking with Jesus not ask him how he did miracles? They ask him, will you teach us how to pray? And so what that intimates to me is, in, in a weird mindset, they connected his ability to accomplish great things on earth to his prayer life. And what I bring from that is, prayer is not just some randomness of order. There is a, there is a distinction. I, I may go this way in the next week or so. You really have to be taught how to do it. It, it's like it almost lends itself that you don't just get it on your own. Somebody needs to be in front of you teaching you how to war this thing out. And so Lord teaches to pray tells me this, that every need, every miracle, every moment of my future should start with prayer. Not the miracle, but with prayer. And if I'll pray, it's going to have great impact on my life. Next scripture. One day, got two more scriptures and I want to end with how I've worked all this out. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story, and this is where we started, that they should always pray and never give up. So how do I really come to this place to where with how do I pray but not give up? Because we're kind of there anyway in our country. We've got a whole group of people praying that Trump wins and Biden doesn't get in, and we got another whole group of people praying that Trump gets out and Biden gets in, and everybody's throwing prayers to God and using the name of Jesus, and we're arguing and fighting over who God's man is. It can't be this guy. It's definitely not that one. It's my guy. It's my guy. And you just feel like just giving up. Like, this is ludicrous. Like, literally, is this why we were put here? Were we put on this planet to pray that my football team beats your football team? Is that why we're here? And so it is easy to get discouraged looking at Christianity in America and thinking that most of our prayers have just become very carnal, me-centered, fix me, help me, bless me, do my agenda, my mission, God. And really it is easy to just give up. And if Trump gets in, all the people that pray for Trump, I knew God would answer our prayer. And if Biden gets in, all the people that, oh God, we should have prayed harder. And so somebody loses. 
So I want to teach you how I did it. Let me give you a few more scriptures. This is Saul. So trembling and astonished, Saul said, Lord, watch this now. What do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. This would be wonderful if God would just tell me every single day what I need to do. Where to go to college, where to go to school, who to marry. Because this is where it really gets convoluted. So 30 years of pastoring people, right? 30 years of pastoring. This is what kind of stuff comes to me. Pastor, yes. We really need you to pray for us. You got it. What do you need? All right, we're praying about moving to Florida and living on the beach. We've always wanted to live on the beach, but we just want to know, does God want us to live on the beach? Because we don't want to go to Florida if it's not God's will for us to go to Florida. But what we need is, I hate our job here, but I really don't have the money to go there. But I want to know, should I quit my job? And should we go pursue this thing in Florida where we should live in Florida? And I just want God to tell us what to do. Quit the job. Go down here. Live in Florida. Not live in Florida. Does God want me to move to Florida? Does God want me not to move to Florida? Because I want to move to Florida if God doesn't want me to move to Florida. But I wish the Lord would tell me to move to Florida. But he's not telling me to move to Florida. So does that mean I just need to sit here until God does tell me to move to Florida? Or is the feeling in my heart to move to Florida put there by God? Because I'm already seeking God. And we came to you to tell us what to do. And then it's like, oh, Jesus. Okay. Right? I just want God, why doesn't he just tell me? Why won't God just tell me where to go to college? Pastor, all right, look, I got a potential. I could go to Rome. I could go to Barry. Now, Barry's potential, but it costs more. I also go to West Georgia, but eh, don't really like West Georgia. It's kind of eh, school, but I might go there. But I also, oh, I would just love to go to the University of Georgia, but I don't know. Should I go to the University of It's going to cost me a lot more money to go there, and I don't know. But I do have a scholarship at Barry, so should I go to Barry, but I really want to go to Georgia, but I don't have a scholarship at Georgia. I mean, it's going to cost me more, or should I just stay close to home and not even worry about going to Georgia because it's going to cost so much? So therefore, I may need to go to West Georgia because I go to West Georgia. I can still live at home and save money. But I do have a scholarship at Barry. So should I go to Barry and go my scholarship and move there? I don't really want to go there, but could the scholarship be a sign from the Lord that I should go? Or should I pursue my dream and go to the University of Georgia? It's going to cost me more. Or should I just stay home? And then i got to fix that. What, what should I do? And it's like, oh, Jesus. Okay, let's see. Oh, i got a better one. Pastor, I really want to move out. Okay, where do you want to go? Man, I just don't know. Let me tell you where I'm at. All right, I've got a, an apartment, a one-bedroom, for $150 cheaper than the other apartment with the other bedroom. Now, this apartment is $150. i tell you how I, I can live there, but it's kind of a sketch neighborhood. Now, this one over here is $150 more, but it's not a sketch neighborhood, but I don't think I can afford it. Now, does God want me to go to the sketch neighborhood and believe in faith because I can't afford it, but it's kind of iffy. Or should I go and release my faith and just take a big chunk and live in the better neighborhood, but every month I'm going to have to be believing. I just need you to tell me, where do you think God wants me to live? Because he won't tell me. Should I start that business? Should I not start that business? Should I marry this girl named Karen or Becky? Oh, Karen or Becky, which one? Okay, they tell me don't ever marry a woman named Karen. Okay, but I love her. I love her. I think I love her. Do I love her? I mean, I feel like I love her. I feel like I love her. I mean, I want to, I, I think about her all the time, but then there's Becky. And Becky, she's kind of everything I prayed for. I mean, she's spiritual. She, we, have, we have so much in common, but I'm really more attracted to her and not quite attracted to Becky. But what if the one I'm not quite attracted to is really one that God wants because he wants to humble me and realize it's not about looks anyway, but kind of is about looks because I can't quit looking at her because she's so awesome. She loves Jesus too, and she, I just don't know who. And so we throw in these convoluted things of, well, just pray about it. And what does God want? But sometimes, does God even care? So I want to try to help you how I've tried to navigate all of these things that we Christians put on God in prayer and how to work them out. So let's go through them. I just got three. I alliterated them. That means they're all going to start with the same letter. But... I really have applied them, so it's not just a sermon. It's what I've learned to live out that I hope will help you. So here's the first one, and there's three of them. For example, there was God's promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater to swear by. God took an oath in his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you and multiply your descendants beyond number. 
And Abraham waited patiently to receive what God has promised. I've understood the first way you have to apply prayer is just be patient. You just got to be patient. God doesn't always answer every prayer overnight. And yet much of regret comes because when God doesn't answer, we do stupid. He didn't answer me quick enough. I got in a hurry. The best way I can define it is all the people that buy timeshares. I get in there. I go. They say, look, here's the deal. You need to buy it today because if you buy it today, you get unlimited points and unlimited points at these resorts and all these resorts. And your mind is like, ooh. And all of a sudden, you sign the line and then realize for the rest of your life and your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren are all going to pay for this one-week condo at Myrtle Beach. You're like, oh, what have I done? It's those of us that go buy cars and we walk into the car and it's like, I think I want this one. And the salesman sits down and says, all right, this is it. Now, Mr. Evans, what do we need to do to get you to buy this today? And Mr. Evans says, well, I'm not buying today. I'm just looking. Hang on, Mr. Evans. I'll be right back. They're gone for five minutes. They let me just sit there waiting because they have my keys because they had to test drive my car. So I can't even get my keys back. He comes back, Mr. Evans, I went and talked to the manager. And the manager said, today we're going to knock another $1,000 off. Right now, off this price, the sticker price, if you buy it today, we want to sell you this car today. Mr. Evans, what does it take to get you in this car today? Look, I'm really not here to buy. I just want my keys back. I just wanted to look and test drive to see if I like. Hang on, Mr. Evans, I'll be right back. They're gone another eight minutes. They come back in with the assistant manager. They've got a team now. Mr. Evans, this is my assistant manager. I'm just going to let him have it. I'm going to walk out. Now, Mr. Evans, what do we need to do to put you? Do you know how much we want to see you drive off in this thing today? Our goal is to see your happiness. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw in three years of oil changes if you buy this thing today. And I say, you know, I'm just really not going to buy today. I'm really just looking today. And so, therefore, I'm just going to wait. And I still can't get my keys. Then they bring the big guy. And after about an hour, I'm like, my God, would you just blow this place up, Lord? I just want my keys to my Kia soul back. I don't ever want to come into this ill-gotten, forsaken land of demonic power again. Ah, I just hate buying cars. And you know, I want to tell you why? Because I wasn't patient. Because sometimes life pressures you and sometimes you make stupid choices without ever backing off going, no, I don't have to buy today. No, I don't have to sell today. I'm going to take some time to pray about it. And I've noticed in the 30 years of my trying to help people, much regret comes because we're impatient. I have to have it today. I have to have it fixed today. Rather than sometimes, if you're in a hurry, just back off and go, let me go pray about it. They won't understand, but it'll save you a whole lot of debt, credit card debt, stupid choices, regrets you wish you could get back. And I did this the hard way. I traded guitars I should have never traded, bought cars I should have never bought, made choices I should have never made because in the moment I got in a hurry and rather than just slowing down and going, you know what, and then my dad gave me great wisdom and I've applied it and I would throw it to all of you because it works. He said this, Son, the best way to make a decision is give it 30 days. And in that 30 days, pray on it. And at the end of 30 days, see how you feel. It has saved me from signing my life away for debt, for making poor choices to buy things, is now I just wait 30 days. And I'm telling you, we live in an economy that never wants you to wait for a thing. I pulled up at Chick-fil-A the other day, and I, was, I had to wait. And I hate waiting. But be patient. And in that time of being patient, pray about it. Because if that car you wanted sells overnight, it wasn't yours anyway. Give God time. Second thing I've learned to pray 
is this. Here's a scripture. It's an interesting scripture about Elijah. James 5, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power. And watch, here it is. This is why I love it. Produces what kind of results? How many of you like that prayer life? A prayer life that produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are, thank God. He earnestly prayed that no rain would fall and none fell for three and a half years. Can you clap for him? That's a great dude. A guy that can pray and get wonderful results, so many results that I could literally ask God for it not to rain for three and a half years and it won't rain. That's my kind of bro. Here's the problem. James tells it very romantically for us. 1 Kings tells the reality. So let's look at 1 Kings. Here's the actual story. Then he said to his servant, Go and look out toward the sea. And the servant went and looked, then returned to Elijah and said what? I don't see anything. Seven times Elijah said, Go and look again. Finally on the seventh time, the servant said, I see a little cloud. You see, the romance of James is he prayed and, it, and the rain quit. Oh, he's such an earnest man of God. But the reality of the prayer moment is do you have enough faith that when you pray and you don't see a thing, rather than copying an attitude, you just go back and pray again? And when you come out the door and go, my God, I still don't see what I'm praying for. You come back and you pray a third time. And when you walk out the third time and open the door and your husband's still a jerk and you prayed three times for him, you close the door and you go back and pray a fourth time. And when you come out and he's still acting the way he is and nothing is changing and you feel like giving up, you close the door and you go back and you pray a fifth time. And the question is, do we have enough faith that when we don't see the result, I don't see anything, I don't see God working it out, I don't see Him giving me a job, I don't see Him sending me my soulmate, I just give up and I just try to take the bull by the horns and live my life for me. Rather than realizing sometimes we don't get what we want, but it should force me back to the heart of God to pray again. And so that I don't give up. So the second thing Marcus had to learn is how to be persistent. And not get discouraged. When the Bible says pray for somebody to get well and you pray for them and they don't get well, it's easy just to go, yeah, God probably doesn't heal. Or it's not God's will to heal them. Or my wife may never get her ear healed. Or I may never quit seeing double. Oh, it's just so frustrating. No. I just come out and go... Okay, I still see double, so I'm going to go back in. Heavenly Father, I thank you that on September the 15th, 8.45 p.m., 1995, based on Deuteronomy 34.7, Moses was 120 when he died. His natural force was not abated, and his eyesight was not dim. And if Moses could be 120 without dim eyesight, I thank you, God, that I can walk out of this door, and my eyes will be perfectly well, and I won't see double. And I thank you that I've been praying that prayer for 24 years, and I'm not going to give up on that prayer because I know you're a God that can answer prayer and I come out of the prayer closet and I look and man I still see two Shilohs so I put my glasses back on and I live my day and I rejoice in God anyway and I give God praise for my glasses. And I thank God for the doctors that have the ability to give me glasses to wear. But I go back into my prayer. And for the nine millionth time, God, I thank you that on September 15th, 8.45 p.m., 1997, based on Deuteronomy 34.7, I'm believing you that my eyes are healed. And I don't have to wear these glasses my whole life because it gets frustrating. I have to wear glasses in the swimming pool. I have to wear glasses everywhere I go. I can't ever be without them. And it would be nice to live on the planet and not have to be so functional to these glasses. Oh, I still see double. So I put them back on. But I just stay persistent. I don't turn into a jerk. I don't become skeptical. I don't start thinking, well, maybe God doesn't want me well. Well, maybe it's just the Lord's will for you to see double. Okay, but don't give me that hogwash. Just agree with me. And until I get it, I'll just put my glasses on and keep preaching and loving people and thankful that God gives doctors wisdom. Be persistent. How many times have you prayed for your husband? Well, I've been praying for him for five months. Okay, well, go for six months. 
Well, I've been praying for that dummy for nine years. He hadn't changed a bit. He still drinks too much and I always feel like he flirts with women. We'll pray for another three years. Don't give up yet. How long? I don't know. Jesus just said never give up. Okay, well, if I'm never going to give up on the jerk that cheats on me, he flirts with everybody he sees, he treats me like trash, he talks to me like a dog, and you want me to keep going back in my prayer closet and praying for that jerk, I just don't get it, Mark. you got to help me because God is not answering my prayer. Brings me to my third and final point. What do we tell that lady? Here's the scripture. I wisdom live together with good judgment. I know where to discover knowledge and discernment. And then Ephesians 1 says this. I've not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom. And this word insight is the same as good judgment. And both of them are this. It's this word, prudence. When the woman says, I've been praying for him for 30 years and nothing's changed. He still drinks too much. He still talks to me rudely. I've gone to conferences, marriage conferences. I've asked the elders to pray for him. Nothing ever changes. I don't know why God won't answer my prayer and change him. Maybe, maybe I can't change him, so I just give up. Maybe I just throw in the towel. So... What do we do in those moments where I'm praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and I'm getting no results, no results, no results, but Jesus says don't give up. Just keep praying, fingers crossed, prudence. Prudence is the answer to the person who says, I've been doing this for years, praying with no change. Prudence is the word good judgment, discernment, and insight. So it's the person, if I can explain it in a very simple way, it's the person who comes and says, I'm coming to the altar, what do you need prayer for? I have high blood pressure. Good, let's pray that God will heal it. We pray, the next week at the doctor, the blood pressure is still the same. They come back the second time. My blood pressure is still high, preacher, I need you to pray for it. All right, let's pray for that blood pressure. We pray for it. We anoint with oil this time. We make the cross symbol on your head to be extra spiritual. We pray. We quote scriptures. We believe for healing. We, we, we confess with you. We get you saying the right things. You go back next month, your blood pressure is still high. So now we have decisions. Either we're not spiritual enough because you're not getting well. You're not spiritual enough because you're not getting well. God is not spiritual enough because maybe he's teaching you something and just won't heal you because he's bigger than all of us, or maybe prudence is the answer. Because prayer cannot happen without prudence. I, wisdom, that's prayer, dwell together with prudence. Prudence is if we prayed for you five times for your blood pressure to go down and God's not answering the prayer, then maybe the prayer is, Lord, what should I do? about my blood pressure. So I either need to lose weight and quit eating cheeseburgers with bacon on it and bacon fries and maybe need to start walking because prudence is I can't keep eating and living the way I'm eating mad at God that he won't bring my blood pressure down when God says get off your hind end and go walk a mile. Because that doesn't feel spiritual. Prudence is not spiritual. It, I just want God to fix it so I can keep living my life. I want you to lay hands on me that God will get us out of debt. Yea, saith the Lord. Let's believe. God, get them out of debt in Jesus' name. Six months later, you're still in debt. Well, maybe you need to tithe. We've been tithing. We're still in debt. We can't even afford to tithe. Okay. I know, this is weird. You're not supposed to afford to tithe. I know, but even when we tithe, we can't afford it. Okay. So now you're tithing and you're giving, you're still broke. So now prudence kicks in. Well, let's just look. Maybe you overspend. Maybe you're paying for something for years that you got 19 credit cards you're paying for because you've overspent. And so now I just want to throw a check in here for God to fix my 19 years of overspending 
because I want God to fix my lack of prudence for 19 years by giving him a tithe and then he just fixes it and I don't have to do anything. When I might need to cut up my credit cards, I might need to go to counseling for my financial spending, I might need to sit down with an accountant and say, could you help me budget better? It's prudence. It's the wife that says, we've been prayed for a thousand times. And I say, but have you ever gone to counseling? Have you ever got on the phone and called somebody and went and thought, well, we tried it. How long? We tried it twice. He never went back. Okay, that's not prudent. You literally think somebody's going to fix you in two visits? That's not prudent. And yet so many Christians just want God to fix it with a lick of the finger and a prayer without stepping back going, but God, what do you want me to do? Do I need to quit eating like a pig? Do I need to quit being lazy? Do I need to quit smoking so much? Do I need to quit just taking advantage of my physical body? And do I need to take better care of myself? Do I need to go read a book? Do I need to get in counseling? Do I need to go talk to somebody? Do I need to quit asking you for a job, but I won't go to school, but I'm mad you won't give me a job, but I don't want to get educated, but I want to make 30 an hour, but I don't have enough education to make 12 an hour, but I'm mad that nobody will pay me what I think I'm worth, but I'm not willing willing to go to four years to school to become what I'm worth because we don't like prudence. Prudence takes pain. I don't want to go to the gym. I don't want to go walk. I don't want to go to counseling. I don't want to read a book. I don't want to tell somebody my problems. I don't want to go to school. I don't want to go to tech school. I don't want to do that. I just want to pray and I want God to fix it all for me. I'm not saying he won't. I'm not saying God doesn't do supernatural things. But I am saying that sometimes the answer to your prayer is in your prudence. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to do about it? And then God says this. You remember at the beginning of the story, Lord, oh, should I go here to school, West Georgia? Should I go to Barry? Should I go to UGA? And God won't tell me what to do, Mark. Okay, look, I'll help you. Do your research and just make a decision. And wherever you go, God is going to bless you. Because if you'll just go and trust Him, at UGA, you'll do well. At Barry, you'll do well. At West Georgia, you'll do well. Because if God is not telling you where to go, just go where you want to go because He gave you a brain and He's good if you use it. And sometimes Christians think this is evil. Oh, no, I don't want to trust my head. <laughs> well, if you're really pursuing the heart of God, He doesn't care if you trust your head. I really just want to live to Florida. I wish God would just tell me, should I move to Florida? Do you want to move to Florida? Oh, like never before? Well, then go. Yeah, but I don't want to go if God doesn't want me to go. Well, if God didn't want you to go, He'd stop you and He's not stopping you, is He? So if you're not getting to know, go. Rather than just sitting on the thing going, God, tell me what to do. Just lead me. And God's like, I can't lead you when you're sitting still. You have to be moving. Well, I don't want to walk off the edge of a cliff and do something stupid. Don't worry, Mark. You're not even close to the cliff because you're not even moving. So do you want to move to Florida? Move. And guess what's going to happen there? You're going to have to get a job. You're going to have to pay rent. You're going to have to have some kind of home mortgage. You're going to have to find a new church and new friends. Do you want to do that? Then do it. You're going to have to trust God there on the beach or you're going to have to trust God here in the middle of Douglasville. So where do you want to trust God more? Do you want to trust him on the beach more or here in Douglasville more? Well, if he's not telling you no, then just go. Does that make sense? But we make it so hard. I don't know whether I should eat at Longhorn or Monterey. God, what do you want? Okay, A, take the cheaper one. It's cheaper, but if you like steak more, go to the more expensive one. I don't really think God cares where you go. Just when you go, enjoy a meal and thank Him for it. Did I get Becky or, 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 should I, or should I marry Judy? Which one do you love more? Because once you love her, the other chick's gone. 
So pick which one you love more and marry that one. Yeah, but I don't know. Look, both of them are going to take a lot of work. Both of them are going to take faith. Both of them are going to make you go, why did I marry this one and not the other one? That's the way it works. But yet we just want God to come down the middle of the night. Judy, Judy, right? And I'm not saying he won't. I'm not saying that God doesn't have a, quote, soulmate. But in my 30 years, I've not met a soulmate yet. They all take work. They all take prayer. They all take sweat. They all take equity. They all take, God, I got to get in there and work to make this thing great. Do you want to work at Home Depot? Then go apply. Are you sick of working at Home Depot? Then go get an education. Just, just stop blaming it all on God, wanting God to do it all. When he gave us a brain, he wants us to use it. He wants it to be renewed. He wants you to learn how to make decisions and trust him in it. And whatever decision you make, keep trusting him. Keep going back in the prayer closet. Keep asking him what he thinks. Keep moving through life, and he will lead you and guide you. I hope that helped you. That was enough. Amen. So let's pray. <laughs> So, Father, in Jesus' name, I just ask you to forgive us for making it so complicated. And I ask that we would trust you. Now, let me say that for somebody. I, I'm trying to be very fair with where I'm at. I'm a big believer in prayer and miracles. I believe in them. I believe we should pray and believe for healings and miracles and salvations and, and for the will of God. But in those places where... Uh, you know, we just maybe don't see the miracle. Keep praying anyway. And in the dreams of your life, when you really don't know what God wants you to do, well, just seek Him and then follow what desires put in your heart. He'll put it there. He'll put the desire there and go for it. Go for it. Quit waiting on some spooky thing to happen. Just go for it. He'll stop you. He's a good father. If you're going to do something dumb, He'll put people in your life to... Stop that course. But in whatever you do, seek Him. In whatever you do, talk to Him. In whatever you do, ask Him. In whatever you do, do it daily with Him. Pull Him into the equation of your decisions. And sometimes you may have to pray all night. And sometimes you may have to pray again and again and again and again. And sometimes you may see divine things happen immediately. And sometimes you may have to go back seven times in a row and keep asking. And sometimes you may not see the answer for a long time and you want to give up. But just keep going back to Him. Keep talking with Him. Keep asking Him for His mission. Keep believing that He's God. Keep believing that He has your best interests in mind. And then go out and live your life with passion. And if you get your miracle and you don't see double, well, praise God. Put it on Facebook. I no longer see double. God healed my vision. But if you're praying for your vision and it's not better and you have to wear glasses, praise God. I thank you, God, that I can see with my glasses. If you're praying for your husband to come back and he won't come back, well, rather than bless my sorry heart, I just can't believe, go back and pray again. I don't see anything happen. Well, go talk to somebody. Make a counseling appointment. Begin to make changes in your life to see God break the habits that are destroying you. So, Father, today I ask you to let this message sink in our heart. I ask you to let it bring us life. I ask you to let it bring us hope and encouragement for our own situations in the name of Jesus. Would you stand up with me, if you will, as we get ready to conclude with um, our communion. If you're visiting with us, we end with communion and giving. Our baskets are here for those that call this place home. They bring offerings and tithes and we're honored that we can give to God. It's a way of saying He's our source. But we also have our communion tables. And on my right and my left, we have uh, Sam and Chris that are here to pray with you if you need prayer. My mom is here as well. I'll be up here if you need prayer. Uh, but as you come, a good thing to ask yourself is, how's your prayer life doing? Are you being patient, persistent, and prudent? And maybe as you come today, just say, God, if there's anything I need to do, tell me. If there's anything I need to change, tell me. If there's something you need out of me, tell me. But God, I'm going to always come back to you. So let this communion moment be a moment where you judge your prayer life yourself and where you ask yourself the question, are you really serious about your 
prayer with God. And then we just let you, you know, go back to your seat. You can leave if you want to. We dismiss. And, but I would encourage you to stay around. John's going to be playing on the piano. Make a time of prayer. Just kind of re- solidify your faith. Let me pray for you. And you pray this with me, if you will. And then we'll come and do communion. So pray this after me. Heavenly Father, today I ask you to forgive me if I've chased my own mission and not your mission. I don't want to ever give up coming to you, trusting you, calling out to you. But at the same time, I ask you to give me insight about my life. And Lord, whatever you speak, I will try to obey. And when you don't speak, I'll try to use good judgment in making a decision. Lord Jesus, today I confess you as Lord. Holy Spirit, come into my life now. Make me brand new. In Jesus' name, amen. You may come and enjoy communion and giving. I love you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at Amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.